you don't have to know how to do things, but you do have to show up. And that's what I've discovered in my life, in the life of uncommon favor, the one where we walk so closely with Jesus that His breath is on our face. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I'm Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And today we are very excited to bring you Heather Johnston's story. Heather has been on our radar really for a while because she lives in Birmingham, and she and her husband Bruce run JH Ranch. And from that, Heather started JH Israel, which is what she's going to tell you about. And before we get into the story, let me tell you that one, you need to turn on your brain. <laughs> and number two, you may want to grab a notepad and oh a pen. Oh my gosh. I, I'm telling you, I could have sat at her feet for hours just listening to the passion that she has in pursuing Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of her. Guys, as Robin said, I mean, get your notepad, get ready to think, but also get ready to be fired up that God still has modern day disciples and he calls each one of us to be one. Katie, before we get to Heather's story today, I want to remind everybody, if you are part of the Storytellers Live community on Patreon, then you will get to hear more from Heather Johnston. You will get to hear more about J.H. Israel and even what God is doing through the Jewish people today in Judea and Samaria. It is absolutely fascinating. So click the link in our bio if you're on social media or simply click the link here in the show notes on the podcast and it will take you to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash STL community and join today. And I don't know if you all know this, I'm going to guess that you don't because of the feedback we're getting. You can actually listen to all of our Patreon episodes in your podcast feed. You don't have to use an app. You don't have to go to the website. And so what we want you to do is to go to our Instagram page and in the little bubbles in Instagram, we are going to have one that shows you how to do it. Or you can go to the Patreon website and they give you direct instructions on how to download it. So I just get it in my podcast feed, just like I do the Storytellers Love podcast every week. And we want you to be able to do the same thing to keep it so simple. So hopefully this is your helpful tip for the day. (laughs) And we cannot wait for you to hear Heather's. I'm Heather Johnson. It's so good to be with all of you today. I have founded two organizations. One is called JH Israel. Um, Many of you, even listeners on this, been to JH Ranch, which is in California. Um, it is an experiential learning outdoor facility for parents and teens and husbands and wives. And we've been around for about 40 years. It's a great staging ground for uh, much of what people want to see in their most important relationships. And so JH Ranch has been an impetus for the founding of two organizations that I started, one, which is called JH Israel, and the other, which is called U.S. Israel Education Association. Both of these organizations are related to Israel, and I wanted to give a little bit of our story and how those have unfolded and the way that God has worked in our lives as each of us have such an integral role to play um, in the world today. Each of us have a relevant uh, relationship with the Lord that is to be filled with his power. Here goes my story. I married a Californian. I'm from the South, and I met my husband back in 1984, and I was 
a second wind camper going to JH Ranch. It was in, in the early beginnings of the of the ranch, and um, I had a crush on Bruce, and we didn't talk that summer because it was one of those things where I was so intimidated by him. I had to kind of hide and and I did not make myself known. But we ended up kind of getting together several years later. And we both had this very, very adventurous heart. Um, we both loved motorcycles and were romanticists and we loved the mountains and seaside and and both of us were attracted to each other's spiritual life, Bruce being far more pragmatic and purpose-driven than me. And I'm more of like a theological intercessor or kind of mystic. And I think that I was probably more introverted, you know, when it comes right down to it. But anyway, we set off into the wild blue yonder and really dedicated ourselves to try to seek the Lord in a way that maybe was different than we knew him when we were growing up as children. And I think that it really surprised me that we both kind of got real thirsty for God at the same exact time. A lot of times that doesn't happen. And one of one of the other of the spouses, you know, is thirsty for God and, and then the other one's not. But what of the case, we were thirsty at the same time. And so we kind of set ourselves into a track to really seek God. We stopped our normal routines and Bruce started doing a fast for 40 days, um, which sounds extreme. It is extreme to fast for even four days or four hours. But this was one of those moments in our uh, a crescendo moment in our life where we just knew things had to change and we wanted to go to another level with God. And we really waded into deeper waters with him. And I kind of set aside a wilderness experience in my own life for 40 days. We had small children at the time, and I just pulled out of everything I was doing except what was necessary to take care of our children. And we put our heads together, our hearts together. We sought the Lord with all that we had and said, please, oh God, will you take us to a deeper level? And I believe it was an extremely important thing. Sometimes the most important thing God can give us is just a deep thirst for him. The kindest gift he can do is to actually lead us into a place where our hearts are desperate for him. And we were certainly at that place. We had no idea where this would lead us, how, where we were headed with this. We just knew that somehow we wanted God to show up and do something in our lives. We wanted to have an impact and be able to influence the world in a better way than we were in a more far reaching way. And so we, we set out on this sort of radical pursuit and it was about 40 days in and or towards the end of Bruce's 40 day fast. And I had been really taking these promises out of scripture that I believe the Lord was showing me. And I was walking around the house and praying those through the course of the day and really believing that he was going to do them. You know, sometimes when we pray the word, we, or we read the word, we read it sort of lightly, or we read it, you know, and we meditate on it and we try to pull it into our hearts. But sometimes we don't take them, the promises and actually lay claim to them and say, I have to have that as my reality. And I remember one of those verses was Isaiah 50, verse four, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word, to sustain the weary. He awakens me morning 
after morning awakens my ear to listen to him like one being taught. I remember just thinking, God, if you could please make that the reality of my life, I want to hear you more than I want to have anything. Anyway, it was, um, a, it was a very normal morning. I got up and threw bag lunches together for our two children, David and Mallory, who were in elementary school. And we headed out to, um, I headed out to take them to school and I woke up late. And so everything was in a hurry. And one of those mornings you feel real terrible about yourself. And so I dropped the children off from school and I was driving back and going through all of the things I didn't like about my morning and that I had not gotten up, that I had not had a quiet time, that I had not written my to-do list and just what a lousy person I was. And I was on, we were in San Diego at the time and I was going around this lake and I was just thinking, thinking, thinking and not good thoughts, but it was just the most extraordinary thing because I was stopped in my tracks. I was ambushed by the presence of the Lord. And I don't know how to describe it, but it was like God came in and filled my car. And when it happened, when this something like this happens, it's not something you're guessing about. When he comes, he comes with power. He comes to reveal himself, to change our nature, to reduce our efforts, to show us what's worthless, and to lead us into something entirely new. And he did that for me. I heard a voice speak to me like it was from the back seat of the car. Heather, this is the moment I've been waiting for. I never for, want you to ever forget how much I love you. And it sounds trite to try to say it, but at the moment, it was like God put new clothes on me, took off something that was old and it, was, and it wasn't working. And, and he put clothes on me that were glorious. He, put, he took away fear and intimidation and, and guilt. And he gave me this extreme understanding of how loved I was, deeply loved, irreversibly loved. And it swallowed up my fear and guilt. And, and I began to weep and I began to laugh. And then I would weep some more. And then I would just go into this hysterical laughter. And so I, it was like the cheese had slid off my cracker, cracker, but I just knew I had undergone a holy deliverance from God himself. This went on for weeks, weeks. I would go into my closet because I was laughing so hard with the joy of the Lord that was just almost uncontrollable. And then I would be crying and weeping over just the profundity of the presence of the Lord, newfound presence of God in my life. And it was from this point that I began to see in the spiritual realm. Now, I was a really good Presbyterian, rooted Presbyterian in the South. I grew up in a Christian private school, uh, Presbyterian school, and I had always understood God to be a certain way. What I didn't realize is that he would come so close. He would reveal himself so intimately. He would speak to us face to face. I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would see these scriptures emblazoned before me. And they were obscure verses like out of the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And I had no explanation for what I was seeing. I just was absolutely taken 
in the middle of the night by these verses, and I would wake up into these visions um, of these scriptures, and I would be able to memorize them just instantly, even passages of scripture where I would look at it one time and the whole thing, I would, it would be like swallowing it all at one time, and I would know it perfectly from memory. It was unusual. It was unmistakable. It was the power uh, and the presence of the Lord. So I didn't know what to do with this. I felt like I had undergone a radical deliverance, something that God was doing unique. I didn't know who to talk to about it. So I just wrote down these verses that he was showing me in the middle of the night. It was later that I understood that the verses, verses were really about the nation of Israel. Of the restoration of what is modern Israel. That is what the verses were in the middle of the night. And so in, the, in writing those down and not knowing what to do with it, my background had been sort of more of a replacement theology where the church replaced Israel because they rejected their Messiah and therefore they didn't have any place inside the standing of God or the kingdom of God or the plans of God until sometime way later. And it was this doctrine that really prevented me from being able to understand what I was hearing and what I was seeing. It, was, it led me to a pastor named Robert Mawiri, who kind of explained to us, my husband and I, um, what these prophecies were about, that indeed um, the modern state of Israel was born as a fulfillment of biblical prophecy that we as a generation in the last 70 to 100 years, we've been the generation that is literally being living inside the unfolding prophecies of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. I'll gather you, O Israel, from the four quarters of the earth and bring you back into your land. I'll rebuild your cities. I'll build up your ruins. I will breathe on your land and cause the land to burst into bloom. Uh, can a nation be born in a day? Can it come forth in a moment? And yet no sooner has Zion gone into labor that she's given birth to her children. Well, indeed, these were big, big scriptures. And the Jews will come out of the land of the north at that time. They will come blind and lame and women nursing at the breast, going into labor. And these were, these were big verses, big, powerful prophecies. And yet to and as we begin to understand the modern state of Israel today, these were the prophecies that were unfolding in our time frame. So this led us on a search. And I was in my kitchen one day and I reached into the oven to get something out. And I saw a verse flash before me. And it was Psalm 137, verse four to six. And I got on my knees. The presence of the Lord was there. And it said, how can you sing the songs of the Lord while you're standing in a foreign land? If you forget Jerusalem, may your right hand forget its skill. May your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth if you forget her. If you don't keep Jerusalem, your chief joy. And I went to go write it down, and I didn't know what to do with it except to say, God, whatever this means, the answer is yes. I'll do whatever you say. Whatever you say is what I'll do. And it was on this time frame that Bruce and I made our, our trip to Israel, and we met Mayor Ron Knoxman, who was the founding mayor of the area called Samaria, which is inside the West Bank. 
but it's the area where of Judea and Samaria where 80% of our Old Testament took place. All of the covenants of Ab- the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all down the road of the patriarchs inside this area called Samaria, the area of Shiloh, where Joshua and Caleb came in and took the land. All of this took place in this area, Judea and Samaria, just north of Jerusalem by one hour. Anyway, this mayor was at a critical time. Um, As mentioned, these prophecies were unfolding in Israel, particularly in the 1990s when the Jews were pouring out of the Soviet Union. And we came upon this relationship with this mayor. And he helped us to understand what was going on and that he was actually absorbing the Russian Jews into his city. And his city would go on to have half the population as Russian Jews. We knew we were supposed to get involved. We just didn't know exactly how. And sometimes that's a real good question to ask God is, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? We just know we're supposed to be here. And we ended up in a Russian absorption center the following day. I had awakened that morning at the hotel to Jeremiah 31. And the passage that I read was, again, you'll plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There'll be a day when the watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, and they're going to say unto you, O Israel, come, let us go up to the Lord our God. For the Jews will come from the land of the north, blind, lame, women nursing their children and going into labor. And they will come back, a great throng of them, and they will go out and dance with the joyful. And there would be this Russian constituency that would actually, at some appointed time in Israel's history, would come pouring out of the Soviet Union. Well, this was the time frame. In in the 1990s, more than one million Jews came out of Russia. We were in a Russian absorption center just a few hours after I had had that encounter with the Lord. And we were sitting there among all of these brand new immigrants. My heart was filled with tears. I couldn't believe it. It was like I had stepped into my own family, um, like a family reunion of people that you love and care about, and I barely had just met them. And so we sang songs that morning, and they sang songs to us in Russian and then in Hebrew, and then their final song rang out. It was, I've come from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Well, I looked around, and did a deep duck thinking, oh my goodness, it felt like everybody was singing happy birthday to me because I was, was of course, the only person from Alabama and the only person that played the banjo. So I felt like it was my altar call. I ran down the aisle to meet Boris, the choir director, who played the piano as if he were Mozart, as if he were some big, fantastic, well-known singer and pianist. And he was just hilarious. He was jolly and he was happy. And he was one of those Russian Jews that God had spoken about. I met him and he asked me if I wanted to be in the choir because I was so enthusiastic and I had no idea what to do. So I just stood there in front of Boris and said, God, I'll do whatever you say. Whatever you say is what we'll do. I went back to the hotel room and I laid on the floor and I said, I don't understand what you're asking. Please clarify, help me understand. And the next day I was standing in Jerusalem and it was hot and I was sweating and I was jet lagged and I was leaned up against this wall 
and this man came walking out of the bookstore with a kippah on his head, a Jewish shop owner. He walked over to me. I had never laid eyes on him in my life. And he handed me a ring with a Hebrew inscription. And he said, I feel like I'm supposed to give you this ring. Well, I was taken back. I mean, why would a total stranger walk up to me and give me a ring? And I asked what the inscription was. And he looked at me and said, how can you sing the songs of the Lord while you're standing in a foreign land? If you forget Jerusalem, may your right hand forget its skill. May your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth if you forget, if you forget her. If you don't keep Jerusalem, your chief joy. Well, I slid down the wall because it was the exact verse that I had seen in the oven almost a year previous to that very moment. And I knew that God was crystallizing the future for me right before my eyes, that he was calling me to a life to yield unto him and to say, Lord, I'm willing to be here for you in this nation. Whatever you need us to do is what we're going to do. So I don't know how to explain it to you. But I just knew that I wanted to be a Talmud of Jesus. A Talmud is a disciple. A disciple, Talmud, is in the first century, every rabbi sought out their Talmud or Talmudim in the plural. And that was the group of disciples that would not just come alongside them and be taught by a famous rabbi, but they would become like the rabbi. They would give up their lives to follow him. They would leave family, wealth, everything that they had, and they would follow an itinerant rabbi for a lengthy period of time. They did what the rabbi did. They taught what the rabbi taught, and they took up his yoke. The yoke was the interpretation of the law. That is how the rabbi interpreted the philosophy of how they interpreted the book of the Torah or the first five books of the law, how they um saw and um, brought to bear the practical side of living out the law. And so if you are a prospective Talmud, you would seek out a rabbi whose yoke you wanted to follow, the one that you wanted to live and become like. And the rabbi sought out Talmudim who could perpetuate their yoke, take up their yoke and follow them, and then go forth and be able to take their teachings and teach others also and become like that rabbi. It was a very intimate relationship. I understood while I was standing in Israel back in 1997 in that book, right outside that bookshop, I said, Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you so closely. I want to have your assignments on my life. I want to do what you say. I want your power to be with me. Use me to be relevant inside this nation. My husband and I locked arms and we just knew we were supposed to head in that direction. We began to support the city of Ariel in Samaria. Mayor Ron Nachman, we wrote out a check for everything we owned and gave it to God and said, we want to we want to turn ourselves over in every possible way. So there was a house that had been given to us and we were able to turn around give the full payment of that house in a check to Ron Nachman for the absorption of the Russian Jews into his city. We sought projects where we could pull people together and play a relevant role inside the dynamic and open the doors in that city for the radio station and computers in the schools and 
just practical things that were needed at them. And we understood that the prophecy of Isaiah was in those days of Israel's restoration. And at that time, I will beckon to the Gentiles. I'm going to lift a banner to the nations. They're going to carry you, O Israel. They're going to put your daughters on their shoulders, your sons into your arms, and they're going to become your vital support. Well, we understood this and this story that I'm telling you led to being able to start two organizations. One is JH Israel, where we actually built a JH ranch, a staging ground, an experiential outdoor learning facility, um, a national leadership center on the hills of Samaria. We felt that Jeremiah 31 was particularly the prophecy that we were to pursue That is when the watchmen cry out, that is the not dream in Hebrew, which is the Gentile believers. Jeremiah, the prophet, in his dire situation, was foreseeing the future of modern Israel, the restoration of modern Israel, where the Gentiles would show up on the hills of Samaria. They would say to Israel, come, let's go up to the Lord our God. So we took ownership in some ways, and we said we want to play a role inside that, and we helped to build and to found the National Leadership Center for the State of Israel, and we built it on the hills of Samaria. Today, more than 85,000 Israelis, Arab Israelis, Druze, and all of the nation of Israel represented have come through that National Leadership Center to understand their biblical identity, to be able to relate to Joshua and Caleb and David, asking themselves those important questions, why am I here? What is my purpose for life? If I'm going to be able to take on a biblical identity, what was it like for David? How did he relate to God? How did he understand himself? And then how did he relate to the other? We wrote the curriculum with Israel's Ministry of Education and the Israeli Defense Forces. And back in 2010, we launched the National Leadership Center. And 11 years later, we've had 85,000 people go through that training. And it has become the hallmark, the staging ground for Israel's leadership development for a whole new generation. This has been exciting to be able to come alongside and follow the Lord all the way into being able to pursue his dream, what he's wanted to build inside the nation. And we knew we were supposed to do it. My book, Uncommon Favor, which has just been released in August, The Intentional Life of a Disciple is something you can purchase at heatherjohnston.org, or you can purchase it on Amazon. It tells the unfolding story and how we went on from there. But being inside of Judea and Samaria, we were able to see and to witness with our eyes a lot of the failures of the U.S.-Israel collaboration. That is that the United States was brokering Uh, the peace plan, the peace process for the Palestinians and Israelis, and yet no Congress was allowed to actually go through the Jewish communities of this area called the West Bank. It was forbidden because it was disputed territory. Well, how do you broker a peace process when the leadership of your nation cannot go to the disputed area? It made no sense to me. But I remember waking up one night and the Lord said, I want you to take the Congress for Judea and Samaria. I woke up and I said to myself, or I said to the voice that I was hearing, could you please repeat that? I thought you said, 
go take the Congress Bridge a Day in Samaria. Of course, I had never met a congressman, so this was so far outside of my realm, my purview, my desires, and it was something I let that word flap in the wind over and over again for over a year, and then it just continued to come more strongly and more strongly with passing time. So I set out to try to discover how we're going to lead the Congress to Israel, these senior leaders, and into this area called the West Bank. So I went and did the research. And, you know, sometimes you just have to ante up. There are people out in this audience today, you feel like the Lord has spoken to you about doing something, and you don't know where to start. And there's a sense of if God wants it, he'll let it fall in my lap. But I have never one time had God do that for me. I've had to go do the research, ante up, put myself out there, get up and go. As God told Abraham, go you, get going, get started. And then signs and wonders and courage will come alongside you. Well, this is exactly what happened. As I began to explore congressional trips into Israel, I realized that they actually, it was illegal for them to go into this area called the West Bank. And so I wrote out four objectives and began to pray about how we were going to take Congress. Of course, I had still yet to meet a congressman. So as the story goes, and I'll skip over part of it, I was able to meet with Eric Cantor, the majority leader at the time of the U.S. House of Representatives, the highest ranking Jewish leader um, at that time in, in U.S. history. We sat at a table, and he, as God would have it, he had been looking for somebody that would please lead the secondary tours for Congress to Israel. And he said, Tag, you are it. These are the best four objectives I've seen. I want you to do the leading. I'll populate your tours. So we started our very first congressional tours in, the, in, the, in 2011. I took five of the chairman on armed services, and we took them on an excellent, the most outstanding tour they had ever been on. And we brought them through Judea and Samaria, the biblical land. They went to Shiloh. They stopped at the altars where Abraham made his sacrifices before God. They went to Hebron and met the Palestinians and the integrated business movement uh, between Palestinians and Israelis that so few people know about. Their eyes were dropping out of their head as they literally had a paradigm shift over what was taking place inside this area called Judea and Samaria. Everything changed from that point because we were able from then in that paradigm change to then bring the next layer of Congress and the next leaders. And God began to work through this whole time frame leading up to what was this recent administration, the Trump administration, who took such an active role to help elevate the area called Judea and Samaria, to move the embassy to Jerusalem, to legitimize the Jewish population in Judea and Samaria, to change the State Department laws. We were able to remove the U.S. boycott off of Judea and Samaria through the Congress, through the State Department. And so many things happened just because we began to take the Congress through there for the very first time. We were able to, and I'll close with this, let the, we were able to take the Congress on the very first trip to see Iron Dome, which is the defense missile system 
It's become so famous around the world that intercepts the rockets coming in from Israel's borders out of Lebanon and Syria, out of the Gaza Strip, um, that have become such a threat to Israel. The Iron Dome was little known. The U.S. Congress had not done much about Iron Dome. They didn't. They had never seen it before. They had never really knew much about it. And so this first group of armed service chairmen on my very first tour asked if they could go see the Iron Dome, but it was classified. So I had to approach Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu at the time and ask if he would declassify it so that the U.S. Congress could see it. And he changed the classification by the next morning, and we were rumbling over these dirt roads um, headed out into the Judean wilderness to see an Iron Dome installation. I remember reflecting on the bus, looking out the windows at the prophecy of Isaiah, where Isaiah said, the foreigners will rebuild your walls, O Israel. Their kings are going to serve you. And all I could think about was that God would use the United States to help raise up the missile defense collaboration between um, the U.S. and Israel that would change human history. It would literally clear the floor for the nations to join, to step in, to form treaties with Israel and years later, and that would protect Israel from these incoming um, rogue countries and rocket fire. The Iron Dome was so uh, mystifying to the members of Congress that they went back to um, the House of Representatives and pulled 54 members of Congress together and they tripled the budget for Iron Dome, enabling Israel to put Iron Dome installations around Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and Haifa. And all of this came out of a small little band of congressmen that we took to Israel in the year 2011. We find him to be most intimately our father, the one who knows us best. He knows how to speak to us. He knows how to, to cooperate with us. He knows how to bring about changes, even radical changes inside of human history for very, very ordinary people in ordinary circumstances. It's a wonderful story to be able to highlight that we have to show up. We have to get going. We have to agree with God that we're willing to do exactly what he says and to cooperate with the things that we're sensing and even the small things in our day. And don't despise the small things. Because if we can obey in the small things, he can increase the responsibility and put his trust in us. So I thank you for letting me be with you on this today. It's my privilege and honor to get to share this story with you. And I hope that it has inspired and brought some clarification for your own journey. It's taken us a minute to decide where on earth to start. <laughs> Do you feel the same way? Do you need to go back and listen to the story one more time before you even hear us discuss it? Y'all, it was, I think I'm just going to start with Heather's radical transformation. When she asked the Lord to give her more of him, to give her insight, and she said, I didn't realize that God would come so close. Mm. That took my breath away. Mm that God is a God that wants to come close to us. He does not want to be this far away God. And not only that, then look at what he's done in her life and the way she explains how he's continually moved through her life by her acting. And we'll talk a little bit more about it, but by doing and by going and by just believing him and acting on it. 
I know, Robin, she had said one of the most precious gifts that God can give you is just this desperation for him and to crave him and to know him more. I can personally speak towards that in that years ago, I used to pray that God would give me a desire to be in his word um, because I just didn't have that desire to be in his word. And let me tell you, he answered mightily. I have such a passion now reading his word, understanding the Old Testament, the New Testament, how they relate. I think that's why Heather's story was so fascinating to me because of the nation of Israel. But I loved her saying that, you know, sometimes God wants us to be in a desperate place of wanting to know him. Listening to Heather's story really made me just want to pull out the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. and that never happens. Um, (laughs) But just really wanting to understand when she was talking about Ezekiel and Jeremiah and putting all that together, it is fascinating because, guys, God is still at work. He's still accomplishing Mm -hmm. every promise that he has said that he would. And I was really challenged by do the research and get going, Mm -hmm. like get out there and make a difference. And even in Patreon, we told you she's on Patreon, and and she talks about how long obedience in the same direction really makes a difference. And and I was challenged by that. I was fired up. I'm ready. Let's go. And and she she didn't just say, what do you want me to do, God? She said, how do you want me to do it? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's real easy for us to say, we have a calling and what are you passionate about and follow that. But how often do we ask him how he wants us to do it, and wait for the answer. And then she followed that up with, and whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do. I mean, she had that prayer, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do. The book that she has out is called Uncommon Favor, The Intentional Life of a Disciple. And, you know, the thing is, as you listen to Heather's story and you think, wow, that's awesome for her. But God wants that for every single one of us. He wants each one of us to have uncommon favor. And it takes this this passionate pursuit of God in your life. And that's really all it takes is that passionate pursuit. And he wants to bless you with that uncommon favor, just like he did Heather. And just like Robin said, he wants to come close and he's faithful to do so. We've seen it time and time again through these stories. I'm going to plug one more time Patreon, because one of the things that Heather spoke about in Patreon was just advice that she would give 20, 30-year-olds It's so good. Um, If you want that advice, go to patreon.com forward slash STL community. Join today. Like Lindy said, $5 a month, and you will not be disappointed in that advice that she gives and just the mentorship that she gave Robin and I as we had this discussion with her. Yes, we we always take notes, but we really (laughs) don't. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we hope you loved this story. And I know that this is a topic that a lot of people are curious about. So we're going to ask you to share. Share this with your friends. Encourage them to listen because she's just filled with wisdom. Katie mentioned Heather's book, and you can find that on heatherjohnston.org. And we'll have a link in the show notes below. So you can click on that. And not only can you buy her book there, but there are a ton of resources about Israel. So if this is a story that you just loved and you loved learning, there is so much more available from Heather on her website. Again, heatherjohnston.org. And thank you for listening. If this is a story that has interested you tremendously, or if you have friends that you know are very interested in Israel, we would love for you to pass this along. We ask you to share it with three friends, whether it's on social media that you make a post or whether you just text a few friends and say, you have got to listen to the story. I actually did it the day we heard it. I have a friend that is very, very interested in Israel. And I said, you have got to hear this story. So thank you so much for listening. We look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. Bye.